the DCF Experience. Hello and welcome to the Design and Thought Leadership podcast for the DCF Experience. I'm very excited today as this is our first Design and Thought Leadership podcast and we have a very special guest, Luke Reed from Tech Circus. Hello Luke, how are you? Yeah, good thanks Dave, how are you? Yeah, really good. Can't complain. It's a little cold, um, not used to the freezing weather, but it's, um, it's getting better all the time. So for, for all the listeners just tuning in or for anybody that's listening for the first time, you'll have probably been to one of Luke's events before as he runs one of the biggest design meetups in the world and some of the largest design focused conferences in Europe. So let's get into it, Luke. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about your current role and what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, I run a company called Tech Circus. Um, Tech Circus is an umbrella company for lots of different events. We do a lot of design events at the moment. Um, we, we, uh, we started off with a, a meetup, um, which is called the UX Crunch. It's now one of the largest, as you said, in, in Europe, uh, in the world, I would say. Uh, it, it's, it's absolutely huge. We have four and a half thousand uh, to five thousand people, I think, last year um come in and um that's just in london alone so we're, we're wow. expanding out to other other places we we have just started one in manchester actually and it's going really well we have over um about 70 to 80 people per event in manchester uh, monthly now we're starting to do some meets events up there where we go to bbc and some big companies uh, on the beach is our next one and they're, they're going well as well so uh, it's all it's all go really. We we do four events a month in London, two events in Manchester, and we're just starting up one in Amsterdam uh, from the meetup side of things. Wow, cool. Um, yeah, and then we also run conferences, as you said. So uh, the meetups got very very big and um, huge community here in London and and now across the UK and into Europe. Uh, so we decided a few years ago to set up a conference and. Uh, we run one conference called uh, UX Live, and then we run an, another few conferences. Um, now, the FinTech Design Summit, E-commerce Design Summit, and the Behaviour and Design Conference. Very cool. Just out of interest, uh, how long have you been doing that? Um, so we started everything four years ago, four and a half years ago. Okay. Uh, as, I, as I said, it... Um, it's one of those things where we, we you know, we, we have been um, uh, expanding out. And at first we were, we, 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 it's quite a long story, but when we started <laughs> off, we were a more tech is. startup yeah. and we, we weren't focused on events as a sole thing. Although the, the actual other product that we were doing was events, it was corporate events. So mm. um, as time went on, the UX Crunch meetup became so large that we decided it was, um, taken over and swallowing up uh, the other business and we can the other business and just carried on with the design meetups and the tech meetups and the events which is where our passion was excellent okay so what were some of the challenges you faced when i mean that, that all sounds amazing you know and it sounds like an incredible journey with that amount of people so what were some of the challenges you faced when you started the business well um to be honest with you we were the first meetup that i know of that was charging people to come to the meetup wow. um now people always have this kind of um attitude with with us as a company and they say why are you charging we've been to meetups that are free before and like you know when we go to these free ones they uh don't have to pay any money and they've got speakers as well and they uh, you know and we're like well there are free meetups out there um yep. but 
problem with free meetups is that if you are not paying to go to it, yeah. uh, which I, I'd like to, I call it a product. If you're not paying to go to that product, you are the product. Your your data then becomes used by other people, and they tend to just do these meetups so that they can advertise their own services. Now, what we created was an independent events company that focused solely on being the middleman, the unbiased party that would bring all of this stuff together. And what, yeah, it, it was just a different concept. So yeah, we do get people to charge, uh, pay 10 pounds or whatever to go to a meetup, but that money goes straight back into the event. It goes straight back into the food, the drinks. We don't have any big company that's, given us money to do things we have a couple of sponsors but you know it goes straight back in and it pays the person's wage that's running it at the moment um so it that having that um that payment barrier there at first people were a little bit like you know why are we paying for this and then after time everybody agreed that this was the strongest meetup out there it was very well organized and it was it took a, they could see that we were putting a lot of time and effort into it compared to other people doing it part-time and it was very consistent so yeah um i think that was the, the other massive thing was that the people that were going to it they were all, all guys that were really senior in the industry and so many of these free meetups you've got life coaches you've got <laughs> bloody all sorts you know every man and his dogs go into them uh for a bit of free pizza and, and beer like we yeah. were kind of seven out those people um in the nicest way possible yeah and keeping it to practitioners in the industry because their time is important they want to be going and listening to great quality content i guess if you like we had the balls to charge people for our content because we knew it was good and um that confidence and that kind of uh yeah that that, that uh confidence that we we could actually uh pull this off uh, uh made people intrigued and wanting to come yeah, I think that's a. I think you make a very valid point there, and I think that most people, I suppose, you know, from from the time I've had in the recruitment industry, and I don't like to use the word sales, but most people don't mind being either sold to or being invited to do something and paying for it if they feel there's value in it. You know, exactly. and, and that for me goes across everything in life, not just in in recruitment or in your events business, but but everything that that you do, whether it's personal or business. I think most people, if they were honest, would would pay for something if they felt it was if it was valuable and I think that's you know um very admirable and I think it's a really good decision that you made early on and and obviously you know from from the success you've had over the last four years I'm sure it wasn't all that way at the beginning but you know as it as something grows you you become synonymous with good quality and excellent events which you know from everything I've heard and seen and been to you know they, they definitely stand out from from the most from the rest it is um honestly it's as simple as someone's got to pay for it Some, something's got to you know um, make this happen yeah and what i've seen with a lot of the free meetups and the companies that do them themselves is that after two or three meetups they give up because uh number one it's costing them too much money probably yeah. but also it's a lot of time and effort yeah and um you know with us guys all we're doing is keeping it self-sustaining keeping it going independently um we're not you know making tons of money out of it and i think you know going back to the question what was your challenge at the start it was actually surviving and yeah, um, when we very first started you have to bear in mind you know we were doing one event per month uh it was very hard to keep it going and to to think is this actually worthwhile doing you know for some people they were probably looking in going oh you know got 100 people whatever the charging tenner each and making a a, a a few quid out of this 
But the reality was, is it wasn't. We were losing loads of money. I was putting all my own money back into it because it was costing me X amount for pizzas and drinks and advertisements. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was actually, at the end of the day, putting way more time into it than than what it was worth. But um, so for a whole year, I spent, you know, building this and, and, and making it happen. And it was, it was just absolutely, um, like, it was it was it was really hard work at the start uh like it was it was very hard to promote very hard in general uh to keep it going and there, there were a few points where i was going to give it up um I, I just thought you know it's not worth the hassle yeah that's very interesting and how did you decide on your niche vertical for the events um well for uh for the each event we we have a different um do you mean in in the fact that like for per event, or do you mean as uh, as UX as a, as a whole for the UX crunch and and for the conferences um, as a whole? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's got it, it all has a design focus, right? And then each one of them seems to have a a niche vertical in design. But I'm sure it, I'm sure you didn't. You know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure you just didn't get up one day and go, oh, I'll do one for UX, one for e-commerce, one for fintech, one for bat you know, behavior. So, so at the beginning, you know, or, or, or as it evolved, how did you, how did you start off? You know, what, what did you start with and how did that evolve, you know, in terms of the niche, the niche areas for each event? So, yeah, it's a really good question. So the whole of our um, event ethos as a company is that we listen to the feedback okay, and cool. in user experience in general, um, what's great about running user experience events is you get to learn a lot about user experience and yeah. um, <laughs> You know, it yeah. can be applied to anything. It is you, people often think user experience is all about web and digital. It's not. Uh, you know. can, you know, user experience can be applied to absolutely any trade, um, yes. and principles can. So, from our events, the way that we see it, we see it as a user experience process. We okay. do a prototype, and a prototype for us is a meetup. Um, wow. So we we'll run a meetup, say on fintech, and um, we're we're then see how many people are interested in that, how many people turn up to that meetup. And yeah. then once the meetup's finished, we'll listen to the feedback of whether they felt it was good or bad and how we can improve on it. So the way that all of the conferences were formed were from doing events, um, smaller events, and listening to what the feedback was, what people want to learn about. And it was a it was a weird process because of, you know, we'd start off doing an event on something. Um, for example, we did one on, um, I think it was on health tech. And okay. listening to the feedback, we said, what other events do you want to do? And, and someone wrote, I really want to, you know, have see an event about fintech. So we did one on a fintech. Yeah. And we did our event on fintech. We had more demand for that event than we've ever had in the history of our company. This is three years on, so uh, three years into the company. And um, we had 300-odd people sign up for tickets within days and we had like so many people on the waiting list and then um we were getting calls from uh scandinavia saying oh we're booking flights over to come to this fintech meetup you're doing on fintech design we're like really wow meetup what's going on here (laughs) um at that point the penny dropped and we were like we have to do a conference in this area um it's it's so in demand. Everybody wants to know about it. And I guess London is the, the center of fintech. So everybody was so keen on, on, on this subject, especially on fintech design with the Monzos, the Starlins and TransferWise and people like that. So, yeah, um, yeah 
we 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 already had at that point a conference called UX Live, which is our generalist UX conference. It's a very big conference nowadays, but back then it wasn't. Um, okay. We had our first year. We did a we did a uh, about three hundred people came to our first one. Um, so off, off the back of it, we went let's do a fintech design summit, and that's how fintech started. So we listen to what people want, and and then we we action it. And likewise with. Uh, the e-commerce design summit that we just launched and the bad conference, which is the behavior and design conference. Both yeah. of them started from feedback. People have told us that's what they want. I've had so many meetings with people that said, please, please, please do a psychology uh, conference. Ah. Um, and then we, when we did UX Live, which is our biggest conference, we do, uh, it's a five track event and people get to sign up to workshops. Okay. Um, when, when we have our workshops, we have all different ones um, throughout the day. There's, there's, there's about, 10 or 15 that you can go to Amazing. and the psychology ones are so oversubscribed that we have to double them up sometimes even do the same workshop three times in a row so that we can fit everybody in wow um, so it's that kind of feedback and these are people paying big money to go to conferences from their training budget rather than meet up paying out their maybe their own personal pockets or um uh, from yeah from from a smaller company budget uh so we realize there's a real big gap in the market for behavior and design and yeah uh we could talk a bit more about that later. Okay. It's interesting because actually my next question was going to be around how did you grow from a meetup business to a conference company? And, and, I, and I want to put some context around that. So do you think that you just inherently knew how to do this or did you have a marketing or sort of sales plan in place given to you from external sources or would you say it grew organically? You know, so I know we sort of covered a little bit about that, but I think this is a bit more specific on, you know, did you actually have a plan to grow it from meetups to conferences or, you know, how did that happen? When I started uh, doing this, there was, there was two reasons why I started the UX crunch in, in the very, very beginning. Um, yeah. One was because I used to work in UX recruitment and I felt that by doing a UX um, meetup, I'd be able to stay close to the market. If, my tech startup at the time went wrong, I would have something to fall back on and I could keep in touch with people. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, my heart was a bit out of recruitment at the time. I was, uh, I, I'd, I'd done that, uh, you know, did very well in recruitment, but I wanted to move on to something different. And uh, the other thing, I guess, that was always in the back of my mind was doing a big conference or something like that. And I thought, you know, you've got to start somewhere. So let's start off doing the groundwork with the meetups and work our way up. Um, who knows how big this can get? Yeah. I, quite honestly didn't imagine it to get as big as it has got uh, um i i always had the aspiration and the ambition to to get it this far but i wouldn't have i would have thought that we had like various tech things going on rather than four, four or five design conferences and meetups across europe i thought we would have sort of probably had like a small ux conference and then a seo one and a you know different yeah. different verticals but it's the design world is uh you know really taken to us and we, we're really enjoying doing that niche so we're, we're, we we want to continue to grow it yeah and i think you know if i if i relate all of that to something you mentioned earlier around user experience and and i my view is that i look at design and experience from a customer centric perspective and everything is to do with what your customers need and if you don't have the attention of your customers then you know, you won't be able to provide them a service or a product that they need. And, and you, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, and, and user or customer experience goes across all industries, service or product. And, and I think what you've done there is, well, there's no question that it's obviously been successful, how long that's taken and, and the journey you've been on is really interesting. But, 
but you know it's it's really fascinating fascinating to see how that's grown and you know and I, and I wish you all the success obviously going forward for me okay. i think the um i'd like to talk a little bit or move it in a direction of sort of a bit more the sort of human element um and let me quantify that so why do you I'm interested in in why people speak at these events. So, so let's talk a little bit about the, the the human side. So why would somebody come and speak at one of your events? It's a really good question. Um, recently, there was a thread by Giles Morrison on LinkedIn. Okay. And um, it said that somebody was asking him to speak at an event, pay for his travel and hotel to go across the world to speak at their conference. Okay. There's a lot of debate about it. And um and and I looked at it, and it's one of those things that's uh, it's incredibly hard when you're running events because of a lot of people are like, oh, look, you're making money from from uh, these events, so why are we not getting paid, or uh, why is he getting paid and I'm not getting paid? More like most of the time. Yeah. Um, truth yeah. of the matter is, uh, conferences are bloody expensive to put on, um, and and I'm talking hundreds of thousands of pounds to put on a decent conference. Um, yeah. People underestimate how much it costs in terms of the food, the catering, the conference hall, the, even the lanyards and uh, the smaller bits that put together. We spent five and a half thousand pounds on stickers for the wall. Uh, UX Live, five and a half thousand pounds just on stickers that said UX Live so we could put them on the walls. And, um, wow. you know, they, they can't be tacky stickers. They have to be put on by a professional yeah. um, guy that puts laminate things on the, on the walls and stuff. So it, the cost of these conferences is extortionate. So a good question is, uh, yeah, why do people speak at them and um, what's in it for them? Um, so I can go through that with you briefly now. Um, on the lower level meetups, it is uh, one of those things that people give up their time to come in and speak at. What I've seen in the industry is that people that speak at events raise their profile. And the more they raise their profile, the more attractive they are in the market when it comes to recruitment. Okay. Um that's a really big thing. So the more your names out there, the more people see you speaking at events, the more people know you. It's all about who you know, right, in the industry. So if if you're a big name on the speaking scene and the meetup scene even, people are going to start gravitating towards you, offering you bigger roles, more opportunities. So there's a selfish point from that standpoint. Yeah. Then there's also the giving back to the community. It just feels good to help people, and especially people in a junior position or someone that's you know, in a less fortunate position than yourself. And I think people get a great sense of giving and doing something good for the community and helping other people. Um, I recently spoke at an event, a junior US Crunch event, and about one of the only things I could speak about, which was recruitment and how to get a job in yep. um, UX from my old days of doing recruitment five, yep. five years ago. And um, it was just really nice to help people and to practice my presentation skills um just it felt really good um and it took me hours i mean about six or seven hours to make the presentation um but it was just nice to get nice feedback at the end of it and all that kind of stuff it raises my profile a little bit more in the industry giving back to the industry and there's a definite feel good factor about it like you've accomplished something that you've done yeah. something good um so that's on the meetup level with the conferences you know it it, it gets even more serious then because you're on a major stage with major players. There's people there from Google and San Francisco, Facebook, you know, the biggest companies in the world, whether you're a consultant or you're a permanent employee for a company, you're getting your face talking as an expert to the biggest companies in the world. Yeah. Now, that is really valuable um, to anybody. 
and some people who talk at conferences do get paid okay. um and uh we do pay fees for certain people and i'll tell you who those people are in case anybody out there is wondering because <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not really a secret it's just it's just how it is yeah. so if you work for a company as a permanent member of staff um essentially you're getting exposure for that company whether it be facebook or google or you know whatever yeah. name it is so those companies always want people to speak at events on their time as an employee and um, that's okay. a push that they do and they come to us the big companies do and they say we want our heads speaking at your events we want to get our name out there as being a thought leader in this industry oh cool um so those sort of people you know don't tend to get fees um they also aren't allowed to get fees in most instances because they have something in their contract saying that we're not allowed to pay them any bribery uh, fees yeah. to speak at our conferences. They're, yeah. they're, they're working on companies' time. You know, it's in the company's working hours that they're spending time normally creating these presentations and speaking. Um, that's not to say that anybody working for a company can't get paid. If it's in your contract, you're allowed to go outside and use the company's name in order to get, uh, to, to sell profit. Then, you know, that's, yep. that's something that you can choose to do as, a, as a, an employee. Then you have your contractors. Your contractors, if they're in London and quite close by, they, they, they get a lot of exposure uh, from speaking at these events. They're going to get quite a lot of work off the back of it, I imagine. So a lot of them, again, aren't like too fussed about having um, a fee. But if somebody's losing a lot of time and money for, for doing uh, a talk and plus they're bringing people to the event, um, I think most conferences are happy to pay them a yep. reasonable amount. And then you have your headlines and your world-class speakers. And they're the sort of guys that have 100,000 Twitter followers. They You put their name on the roster and everybody comes to see them. And at UX Live, there was quite a few. There was a, a lot of them. Um, and these guys demand fees of anywhere between, you know, £1,000 and £15,000 to speak for 25 minutes. Um, and some conferences will pay, you know, ridiculous amount of money, especially if they're a new conference, to try and get some names and credibility to their to their thing. I mean, I, I personally feel that these people tend to be quite theatrical. Yeah. Not too many take homes from what they do, but very entertaining, and also they pull people through the door. It's like having Jay Z speak, uh, you know, uh, singing at your concert. Yeah. Um, people will come just to see him. And if you want to be a paid speaker, that's what you have to do. You have to get to the point where you are bringing a crowd with you, have a following. Yeah, um, yeah. People, people, people come to see you. So um, on top of that, going back to the Giles Morrison uh, LinkedIn status, we pay for a four-star hotel uh, flights, um, free drinks, and as much you know nice stuff as we can do for any speakers that are coming from anywhere. Even if someone's coming from Brighton, we would pay for their train fare. Sometimes for a hotel room for the night if they have to, you know, stop over. Yeah. So you know, there's lots of different benefits. But uh, yeah, um, it, that, that's you know why people come to speak at events. They either come to speak to get lots of exposure um, or to get money. And um, if they're a really good speaker we're normally willing to pay them, um, but they have to be next level good. You know, they have to be the top of the game um, yeah. reality, or they have to be an independent author uh, or a consultant that is, uh, you know, losing money from, from coming to speak. We, we don't want anyone to be out of pocket. Um, and we, want, we want to make sure everybody's treated as fairly as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you, 
Do you have um, any advice or tips for speakers who want to improve their standard of talks, you know, based on your the amount of conferences you've run now, I'm sure you've seen amazing and not so amazing. So what, what tips would you give to speakers who want to improve their, their standard? Well, the thing that I've found is that like a lot of speakers aren't trained in speaking. And yep. I was quite surprised this year at UX Live. I'm not saying they're bad speakers. I'm just saying they don't come across well on stage um, or as yep. well as they could do. Yep. Um, and that comes down to some basic things like body language and yep. Um, vocal exercises today before the talk I didn't do any vocal exercises but sometimes before I go on stage to present um, UX live or some of our bigger conferences I do actual theatrical vocal um, like exercises just before going on stage in the toilet um, yeah. I, and you look absolutely ridiculous doing them but <laughs> yeah any person that's trained in speaking has all these little tips and tricks yeah. um, so what I could what I could say is uh, I'm I'm just having a look now on my on my Audible bookstore, but there is a great great book out there, um, and I will just grab the name for it. Um, uh, it's called "Speak So Your Audience Will Listen" by Robin Kiermode. Okay. Um, now that book is all about how to have the correct body language on stage, how to have a confident presence on the stage how to speak clearly how how quickly you should speak on stage um i've been trying to teach people uh, i've listened to five or six different books about public speaking and try to implement them into my own um talks and also when i'm hosting events yeah um, and and they make such a big difference the way you stand the way you the way that you your body posture is and so many little different tips that I can give to people um but they they make a huge huge difference you come across twice as confident and twice as clear um a lot of people do rumble on on the stage and they're not very engaging you know you need to look at each member of your audience as you talk and look at the back to the front and make eye contact with different people as you're speaking probably about 30 seconds to each person uh, four corners of the room in the middle um, as you're speaking, you need to uh, stand in a position with your legs slightly apart and your your hands cupped together in front of your stomach and then open your hands as you're speaking. Little tiny tips like that that you can get from these books make you look like a professional speaker. Um, they also make you sound like a professional speaker. So this this is the number one thing, you know, uh, I would recommend is start reading a little bit about it. You don't need to go to these expensive training sessions. You can you can just read books on how to speak in front of large audiences and it does make a huge, huge difference. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that out myself. But, um, out of interest then, how do, you know, you've given us a bit of scope as to why people speak at these events. You've given us some tips as to how people can improve their performance or improve what they do on stage. But, you know, other than the obvious people out there in the market, how, how do you get the call to speak at a big stage conference? You know. Well, we get so many people applying for our conferences. It's unbelievable. Um, to, speak, to speak at or to come or both? Uh, well, to speak at the conferences. not wow. Yeah, not uh, to come. We obviously get, you know, we sell out all of our events. But to, to speak at the conference, we get a lot of people wanting to speak. Um, okay. It, it's so ridiculous in terms of competition to speak at a conference that I normally do the roster for FinTech Design Summit before the start of the the one the year before 
if that makes sense. So, like, yeah. there's a FinTech Design Summit coming up in April this year. Yeah. Um, I've already got most of the lineup for 220 already. Wow. Um, so many people are applying to speak. Uh, this year's one, and I say I can't put you in, but I wish I could have because of you're amazing. Yeah. So let's put you on the hot list for next year, and you know, uh, yeah. we're, we're putting them into the next year's one. Um, so to speak at the big stage conferences, um, the biggest piece of advice I can give, and it's unbelievable uh, how many people don't do this, is speak at some meetups. Um, yeah. We have. In the last year, we had 200 people speaking at our meetups. I counted them. 200 different speakers spoke at our meetups last year. Wow. So, you know, when we're doing a conference, we get these guys applying to, to speak at a conference and uh, say, okay, so uh, could you give us some evidence of, you know, some of the talks you've done or, oh, I haven't done any talks in the last few years. And you're like, there's 200 people speaking at meetups trying to perfect their, you know, yeah. speaking and and you guys uh, are wanting to speak on the biggest stage in front of the best people um yet you're not putting any practice into it it's almost like saying i want to run at the olympics but i don't want to do the any training. of the heats or the training yeah you have to practice somewhere and if you look at the best speakers in the uk um you know i could name a lot of them um they, but they all speak on the meetup circuit regularly and I mean, you know, they're doing at least four or five meetups a year, as well as several conferences. Uh, they speak at lower level events, they speak at higher level events. They don't say, I'm only going to speak at certain conferences uh, straight away. Um, so my biggest piece of advice is to get practicing and get on the meetup circuit. That's yeah. what's going to make you stand out a little bit. And if you do a talk, but people come back and say, that was the best talk of my life, we will be chasing you to come and speak at our conferences. Yeah, um, sure. Was, we had an event last night and a guy was apparently incredible. I, I wasn't unfortunately at it because uh, we do so many events now. We take it in terms to go to them. Yeah. But it, we have like an internal WhatsApp group and this guy was passed around for the group and we put him on the hot list as conference speaker for the next conference. And he was that good. And that's kind of like your trial. And I think maybe that's why our events are higher quality than some of the other competitors, because we're having these 200 speakers. You can pick from those 200 speakers, several of the best speakers to come and speak at the conference and then top it up with world-class speakers from America and, um, you know, other countries throughout Europe um, yeah, and, and the world. So, um, yeah, the, the biggest piece of advice is get on to me up and at least do some videos or do do something of you speaking on youtube so that there's some evidence of that you are a great speaker yeah that makes sense that makes sense okay again i'm going to change direction again slightly moving it back towards design um what's your view on design events right now the, the market right now how do you think it's evolved since you started running your events and what do you aim to provide to the design industry by hosting these events so yeah when i started the um the meetups we were one of three meetups that i know of in london i think there was interaction design uxpa both of them are um uh, uh what do you call it uh, professional organizations okay. uh, with huge followings and been around for years and we yeah. were the first as far as i remember them i might be wrong but i think we were the first ux meetup that there was out there that was independent okay cool now there are hundreds of them um 
they're popping up every day. And I mean, people that speak at our events are setting up meetups and people that have attended our events have, who have been really loyal uh, and, and followed us throughout set up their own spin-offs, which I yeah. think is brilliant for the industry. The more events there are, the better. Yeah. Uh, and I always, I'm always very supportive of people setting up their own events. I know how hard it is to run them. Um, so I know that if they are successful in running them, um, then, you know, um, like they've worked really hard and they must be doing something right. Um, the industry has just changed so much. Uh, when we started doing our conference, again, there wasn't many other conferences out there. There's yeah. been a few that have been around for 10 years uh, who have, have sort of remained the same for a long time, doing the same format and having the same attendees and the same click, if you like, go into it. Um, we came along and did something different. But since then, I've noticed lots of other smaller conferences popping up. Um, and um, again, it's one of those things where it, I think that we made we made um, a choice. I was going to say a mistake, but for us, we had a big, very big meetup. So doing a UX, a general UX event was the next step for us um, because we had such a big audience um, of people that we knew we could fill up a big UX conference. Yeah. But for people coming into the market, don't do a UX conference. There's loads of them. And like, there's a few dominating ones. And even for me, like it's hard running those events because there's so much competition. Yes. Do something like original, um, something different, something that people aren't doing. And there's a lot of ideas out there. I don't want to give too many of them away. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the behavior and design conference, how has nobody ever done a behavior and design conference before? Psychology is one of the biggest parts of, uh, of UX at the moment and yeah, no one's done a conference on it and the FinTech Design Summit you know it's uh, these ideas are, are things that we'd obviously picked up on and we've got the time and the effort the resources and the money to be able to invest in but like it, you know if you're going to create a new conference or you're going to create something new I, I would go for the niche because the niches become bigger than the big ones in the future people yeah. will travel worldwide to come to a niche conference whereas you know if you're doing the same thing as everybody else you're just competing trying to get um people to come from one conference to another um i think there's enough room in the ux market for there to be several conferences and i think it's good for business that there are several conferences and i think that um it keeps everybody on their toes and keeps everybody you know doing a good job with speakers and and not becoming overly um what's the word secure and and stagnant in what they're doing so i, I think it's great to have you know lots of different events out there and um I, you know any other event out there i always try and support as much as possible but if you're going to start a new one i personally would recommend doing something niche something different and starting small no conference is big on its first year it takes a while to build them yeah and and, and for me it's a very good point because every industry that that survives today and I, you know i've been recruiting for for a number of years in, in multiple industries they've all got a top two or a top five in that in, in that sector doing the same or similar thing. So without competition, there is no market. I would always be more worried about going into something where people didn't know what I was doing or didn't know what, what I was offering or didn't know what that was because you'd spend all of your time explaining it rather than people buying it, as it were, or people coming to it. Um, so there is, a, there, there, is a, there is a really good message there around, around having other people looking to jump on, not necessarily jump on the same direction as you or the same wagon as you but but build your 
build the the sector in itself to be bigger than it would naturally be if it was just you on its own or just exactly. you one other on um, its own. And that, and that for me is, is the same. Toes. In, Sorry, yeah, it, just keeps, it just keeps us on our toes, you know, like um, we, we I, I think that having there have been meetups in the past that have completely copied our ideas. Um, that does frustrate me when somebody like we do an event with somebody and then two weeks later, you see somebody else advertising the same event with the same company doing it for free because uh, they're trying to get a bit of our space in the market. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it's it's the more meetups there are out there, the more variety there is. It's better for the design community. It's better for uh, everybody as a whole, and it does build a bigger um, market. I found that with us, when we started, not many people were going to meetups, and we okay. built out to be very very big. And I don't think anybody would have imagined that we could run four meetups a month, paid meetups a month in London, and have them all completely packed, more than a hundred people at each one um yeah. so um and people would have said no it's impossible like, how could you have 400 people 500 people a month going paying to go to your meetups in a, in a month it's, it's, it's quite weird but the, the market's there there's loads of people that want to go to these things yeah uh, agreed. and uh you know it's it's not been easy to get to where we are today it's taken four years of slogging away making no money putting our own money into it for years and years and then but you know, now now we're in a very fortunate position that everybody does know us, and we and we do put on events and they sell out very quickly. Amazing, amazing. Where do you see the business going? What what are the aims? Um, so what was brilliant is for me was that we 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 started off in the UX industry. Um, we are not UX designers, and I, I, as I said, I've got a recruitment background from years ago where I was recruiting and networking with UX people. Yeah. But we're not UX designers. Uh, I like to think that we're event experience designers and yeah. uh, what we've learned from the UX industry, we can take to other industries. Um, I feel like that we could create tech events in any industry using the formula and the way that we've done things for UX. And the market that we currently are in with the UX people, they are the most fussy people in the world they they literally analyze every part of the experience of every event so the standard of events that we do for ux is incredibly high okay. um, and it is throughout the industry anybody that runs a ux event if you're going to run a ux event run it well because you will get absolutely ripped to pieces by people if it's run badly and it's a bad experience um it was funny actually when we called our name tech circus i was i was thought it was a great name because we called it tech circus because we were like a um, well, we, we were doing tech events and it was like a circus. We put up a tent somewhere, do a show, put it back down and go away. Um, and then as soon as you put that as your name, the next thing is on the feedback. If anything goes wrong, oh, this is a right circus, you know, yeah. it's, you're opening yourself up for those comments by having a name like that. Yeah, and those yeah. comments are the most useful comments you can get if you act on them. Um, if they say, oh, you know, I wasn't happy because the, there was no one of the things that we've been getting a lot of comments on recently is that the pizzas have there's too many meat pizzas, um, like uh, with global uh, climate change and um, all of these different uh, ethical issues such as veganism and um, yeah. people wanting not to eat meat to save the planet. We've decided as a company that we're not going to have beef or um uh, certain types of meat on on pizzas we will continue to have some chicken pizzas as it's not so bad for global uh, uh climate change but we're going to try and and, and uh, try and be as ethical and kind to the planet as possible now okay. if you're starting up an event 
you know, you probably won't know these things, but we, we have three or four complaints, you know, um, an event talking about why there's so much meat on the pizzas and it's something you have to bear in mind and some people, um, you know, don't eat meat. I, I, I uh, have quite a, a strange diet where I went uh, to, to being vegan to jumping back to vegetarian and, you know, <laughs> jumping back between the two and I, and I want to go back to that diet uh, eventually. Yeah, um, I can imagine. But, it, it, you know, it is good for the planet and it's good for your health. So a lot of people are very conscious about these things, things like having Coca-Cola events. Um, you know, if you're not putting healthy drinks like water and soft drinks, uh, that are, uh, fruit juices and things like that, again, you'll get a lot of uh, critical things. So what I'm trying to say is that with the UX people is they're really good at giving feedback and critical constructive feedback. So I feel that we've got a great formula to go and take it to other areas. And I see the business growing substantially. We will take the UX events that we're already doing abroad to other countries we want to dominate global ux events uh, eventually in the next few years and i think we can do that and then after that um and as we're doing that we also want to be running events in other tech areas such as seo uh, we want to be looking at voice virtual reality and argumented reality um yes. And all different uh, areas, like the list could go on, you know, but we're, we're going to do the same process of building small um, meetup communities and then building them up into larger um, training style conferences. Yeah. And I think for me, that's, you know, I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn who who talk about marketing and social and experience, obviously, because I'm in the design experience space as well for my business. And, and a lot of things that they talk about is attention, right? So if you can get the attention of your market, then it's very, it's much easier to either influence them or get your message to them or get them to come and do something with you or for you. And if you're able to replicate or start in a way that you know has a repeatable format, the meetups, which leads to a community feel and a good network and people bought into the same mission or message, doesn't matter whether it's what you're doing now or new things, then then you'll know whether you can host a bigger event it, it just, uh, just through a process of elimination because if enough people come to it, then doing something bigger is the next evolution, right? And, you, and, uh, and it's probably quite easy to track how many you need to do and how many people you have and, and the feedback you get before you know you're ready to do it. Like you said earlier about the doing a UX conference, it was just a natural progression both in terms of feedback the people that want to speak and then the amount of meetups that you do where people are actually paying to come so I think that you know I think for me I mean I'm excited to see more because I, I think that if you've got a formula for events and you're a niche provider of tech events and you can apply that to other tech fields whether it's SEO or voice or whatever then people can really look forward to a really good experience and ultimately that's what people want when they go to either pay for something or go to an event or whatever they're doing, they, they want a good experience. You know, that, that, that's the, the human, element, human element in everybody, I think, for sure. Exactly. And the way to create a good ex, uh, you know, experience is by testing, 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 yes. listening to feedback, and then creating off the back of the feedback and acting on that feedback. If you can apply that to anything in the world, it doesn't have to be events, but um, I don't think you need to be an SEO expert to run an SEO event. What you need to do is run you know, a hundred um, SEO meetups, yes. understand every part of the content and which parts of those uh, contents that people want to hear in the larger conferences. 
and then find the best speakers through practicing and testing with them and then put together something outstanding for the community. Yeah. Uh, so many people run conferences without even bothering to test and to do a meetup or to to even do a questionnaire or anything, you know, any sort of uh, you know, uh, research whatsoever. Um, it is quite tedious and boring and, you know, having to go through feedback all the time and write feedback sheets out, it, it takes a long time. But it's the most important thing about our business is listening to people because essentially we are a middleman and we're just listening to what our customers want and putting it on for them. Yeah, amazing. And I'll be honest, that's that's one of the reasons why I've done my, my podcast specifically around thought leadership for clients or candidates or industry experts like yourself because I want to know, you know, I one, I love the market and I, lo- and I love what I do, but also I want to know what people are talking about. I have a real interest in it. You know, um, I'd like to to sort of move towards, I guess, towards sort of sort of finishing. But but you've obviously got a lot of really good experience and it sounds like a really successful journey. And I think you'd have a really good message to to give to people who are listening. So what would you say has been your biggest learning over your career? Um, oh, so it's. Hey, over my career, there's, I, I've you know done a lot of stuff other than this in the past. Um, my the, the biggest thing I've learned is that there, there are quite a few little lessons I've learned on the way. Um, but probably the biggest thing I ever learned was to to keep your overheads down. Okay. Um. So. In recruitment, as as you probably already know, um, you, you know you can keep your overheads down because you you you're, you're working off a phone. You've got some job boards. Most of the work is like hard graft and your knowledge that you're um, sharing with people and your knowledge of being able to find people and your ability and skill to do so. Yeah. Um, I ran a tech business uh, whilst running um, tech circus at the start, which involved buying lots of equipment buying lots of stuff and I made a massive mistake I invested loads of money into this this big thing that I wanted to create and um you know I I ended up um becoming so attached to the tangibles of the business that oh we've got all this equipment we could make so much money by doing this and doing that but like the reality of it was is it's just more equipment and more assets that you have to lug about all the time um so keeping your business overheads low um, and and making sure and whether that's running a conference or anything, um, you, you just got to be uh, careful about you know um, w- what you're spending your money on. Um, uh, I think I'm a bit hesitant to say that because with our conferences, we've always overspent on 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 them, and we've always gone a little bit um, higher in in terms of uh what the other conferences we've seen have been doing so we paid a bit more for speakers we paid a bit more for uh venues and stuff because we wanted it to be an outstanding thing but you know there's certain things like getting plush offices or um spending loads of money on 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 unnecessary you know things that you don't really need um that don't contribute to the experience of the event that you, you've got to try and keep those costs down. So my biggest mistake in the past was um, trying to make a company by spending money rather than working hard. And, um, you know, the only real way to grow something like this is time and dedication. It's not something you can set up in a year. It's going to take three or four years. You have to be patient and you have to work really hard. And, you know, no. if, if I started this business with a ton of money in my bank, 
and just started a conference by chucking money at advertisements and stuff, I don't think we would have had the success. I probably would have lost a lot of money, to be honest. Um, it's 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 all about hard work, dedication, time, and patience. Yeah, and that's and 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 for me, that's that's really good advice because I think that also sort of falls into the to where or if you've had any examples of failure in your life, and and as much as you know. I'm always trying to talk to people about successes. You know, a lot of things that I've learned in my 14 years of, of doing recruitment and then, you know, 10 years of doing other things is that, you know, you learn as much, if not more, from when you failed or made a mistake as you do from when you got it right. You know, because you, you, you typically or usually need to quantify it more because you're either upset with yourself or you're not happy that you made a mistake. When, when, when you're successful, you know, I don't find, you know, I find that it's people spend less time focusing on when they're successful because everything's going great. You only really sort of get into the detail when things haven't gone so well. And it's really interesting the way that you put that together around around keeping overheads down. You know, hard graft goes a long way, you know, and then I guess, you know, same for me, leveraging as many people as you can in order to make things happen without sort of making that big investment start. So, so you know, for me, I, hopefully our, our, our listeners think so too. That, that's really valuable. Yeah, I find there's just so many companies these days that are built on investment and it's kind of cheating, you know, because you're kind of um, setting up something with someone else's money. And if somebody gave me 20 million quid and, you know, <laughs> said, can you make this into a non-profitable company with a, with a, a half decent product? It, it's not that hard to do. But yeah. creating a real, you know, sustainable, proper business with solid foundations, uh, I, I, I like doing it the old school way, which is working hard and, and building it from scratch and get the investment later on once you've achieved something, once you've done a few press-ups, you know, then yeah. go um, go and uh, look for investment and, and talk to people about it to grow or, or you know, uh, hyper-growth your business uh, once it's doing well. I, I learned that lesson quite early on because of when I had my last business, it was failing um, at some point, the tech business. And... I was starting to talk to investors and and none of them were really interested because it wasn't making much money. It had loads yeah. of assets and loads yeah. of, um, you know, loads of customers and loads of, um, there was a load of vanity around it uh, in the fact that it, it looked like it was doing well, but the reality on the balance sheet was it wasn't. And uh, the overheads were very, very high and the income was quite low. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. One thing I'd like to finish with um, is... And this is really based on the you know the sort of forty minutes we've been speaking, forty five minutes, and and the fact that you have a lot of I think a lot of really rele relevant advice to give. But you know, from a from a design perspective, what advice would you have for candidates in the design space? How can they stand out? You know, you know whether it's one, two, three tips. What advice would you give for for individuals to to stand out in today's design experience world? Um. You know, a bit like you're doing, you know, the podcasts and stuff. There's a guy called Stephen Gates who spoke at our conference um, and he does a crazy one podcast. And um, there's a lot of books, again, that you can read about this, this sort of stuff. But me and you were talking before the podcast about Gary Vee um, yeah. and his social media um, tips. Um, but there's also, you know, the 10X Rule by Grant Condone and loads of other great motivational books. But what the underlying message I feel is getting exposure and getting your name out there is the most important thing. Yeah. For us, uh, we did that by creating hundreds of meetups. So people had to know about us because we were absolutely everywhere. Um, yeah. But the, your person that's trying to get a job 
it's quite similar. You have to treat your career like a business and get as much free PR and exposure as possible. Speaking yeah. at events is obviously uh, a key way of doing that. Hosting and being involved in podcasts, whether you're talking or hosting on them, is a great way of doing that. The most successful designers I've seen in the world are working really hard to get their name out there and to, to make a personal brand. Um, so they're not only making a brand for their company and great UX for their company, they're, they're also creating a personal brand. They're on podcasts, they're speaking around the world. And these guys haven't done it by luck. It's not because they've been great from the start. If you actually look at their backgrounds, they've worked for pretty crappy companies to begin with. Yeah. Um, but then they got out of events. They started speaking. They started doing podcasts. They started writing books. They started uh, doing as many things as possible to make themselves well-known within the industry. And then the Microsofts and Googles came knocking on their door saying, please come and work for us as our head of design. Or, um, yeah. So I, I think that, you know, getting the right exposure out there, if you've already gone for your education, obviously there's going to Stanford University or a great, you know, uh, educational institution. But I think that, you know, if you've got past that stage and you've got your, your, your qualifications and all that stuff, I think then it just becomes about getting exposure and getting your name out there and bringing your ideas and your thought leadership across to the community. There's some great, great people out there. Uh, you can see them all over LinkedIn. Um, I, I I don't want to mention anybody because I've got so many people in my network. I don't want to make people think, oh, you know, he's favoriting uh, this yeah, of course. person. But there's guys out there that have made themselves well known for psychology and they've made very big names for themselves promoting psychology on LinkedIn and through yeah, sure. um, through through their social mediums. Uh, there's people out there that are big on mobile. There's people out there that are big on ethics. Um, one name I will mention is Mike Montero, who spoke at our conference. He was our headline this year at UX Live. Amazing. He's made a, a living out of talking about epics, different conferences all around the world. He's a great speaker. And, you know, his his exposure was berating Jack from Twitter for several years about how unethical he was um, by just writing to him nonstop. And he got a huge following on Twitter because of it. Uh, yeah. he wrote lots of great articles he spoke all around the world and now he's you know i would say one of the most famous creative directors in the world as a consequence stephen gates being another one with the crazy one podcasts all of the yeah. talks he does at all the conferences all of the free education he gives to people these guys work non-stop um it's not luck that they became that good so i think even if it's speaking at a low-level meetup a junior ux crunch to the junior community or helping out at um, certain conferences and doing a talk or a workshop, you can really create a big personal brand for doing that. Likewise, through having a voice on LinkedIn, social media, there's loads of people in the UK that you can see talking about things. And, and a lot of people don't do that. They're, they're just so fixated on their job and doing their job well, which is, which is great, but nobody knows about them. Yeah, that's very true. And, and you know, I think that's a really good way to to finish because I of all the people that I follow on LinkedIn sim similar to you they all talk about you know find something you love you know go and do it for free go and put yourself around people that are doing what you want to do go and make the extra effort and for me the sort of underlying message in all of that is is hard work and graft you know and and that that will always resonate with me um, because you know at the end of the day nothing you know everything that's worth having takes a long time to build for sure. It does. Um, yeah. Whether you're doing a podcast, a book or a 
uh, talking at conferences. Nobody starts off headlining. No, 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 of course not. They start no. off doing junior meetup events, grafting, perfecting their technique. The talks that you hear these people doing on the main stage, they've practiced them hundreds of times before. They've yeah, sat there so... for hours redefining that talk. They, they haven't naturally gone onto the stage and performed like that. It's uh, People say, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, you could. You just have to put the right time, the right effort, the right work, the right practice into making it happen. Yeah, Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, honestly, the, the insights you, you've given me, the, the business that you're running, the communities that you've built uh, and the conferences you do, you know, obviously I can't wait to see you next time in London. I really appreciate you coming on the show for, for my my first podcast i think it's going to make a, a big dent and i really look forward to so getting it out there probably next week and look um you know for me um i wish you all the success with your business obviously um i, I know it's going to go you're going to go on to do great things and obviously thanks very much for coming on the show all the thanks best for having us it's been an absolute pleasure thanks david no problem thanks luke bye